In a world where planet-threatening, civilization-ending, humanity-uniting movie tropes lie scattered throughout a sea of film, one disaster response expert, with the help of her plucky producer sidekick, will gather together a panel of experts to discuss. Wait, what? Why the f did they do that? That's not how it works. That's not how any of this works. Welcome to Disaster Peace Theater. Welcome to Disaster Peace Theater. I'm Anna, and I'm joined by the always smooth, never bitter Rev. Our guest today is John Wisniewski. And yeah, we're related. So, uh, hey, Rev. What's the movie today? Our movie today is Jurassic World, uh, probably with a dash of Jurassic Park added in for flavor. Uh, the original Jurassic Park was released in 1993, making it almost as old as a T-Rex reaching adulthood. There's your little science factoid for the day. Uh, Jurassic Park won more than 20 awards, including three Academy Awards, and hatched four more movies, with one more coming later this year. Jurassic World was released in 2015 and is set 22 years after the events of Jurassic Park. Two brothers, Zach and Gray, are visiting the park with their aunt, Claire, and also Chris Pratt plays Owen Grady, a guy who is training velociraptors. Uh, as in any Jurassic movie, things go wrong when a bigger, badder dino they engineered, this one called the Indominus, gets loose, and they lose control of the park, leading to the running and the screaming and the meme of our hero, Margarita Man. Owen is charged with hunting down the Indominus, and he does so on a motorcycle flanked by his raptor team. Meanwhile, Claire, played by Bryce Dallas Howard, runs in high heels to lure T-Rex to help in the fight. There's a lot of roaring, running, and biting, but in the end, the T-Rex and Blue, the Velociraptor, are victorious, and the survivors are evacuated, leaving the island abandoned once again. So, uh, John, do you want to start by introducing who you are and what you do? Yeah, as, a, as a, my lovely sister introduced me a little bit ago, my name is John Wisniewski. Uh, I am a chief information security officer by trade, and I promise you, uh, not a Velociraptor trainer in my spare time, unlike <laughs> a fellow Seattle native, Chris Pratt. I always forget he's from here. So one thing, John, that you and I have talked about a number of times is how different the tech is from park to world. You know, because if you remember in, in park, you had the the Nedry character who hacked the the mainframe and they had to run out of the building to turn the computer off and then back on again in like the ultimate worst IT call ever. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, when when Jurassic Park was filmed, so if it was released in 1993, let's say it was started filming in what, 1990, 1991, probably. And yeah. so the technology that they were displaying in there was probably fairly cutting edge uh, for the time. And I think what's fascinating about the transition from Jurassic Park to Jurassic World in much the same way that the rest of the movie has to be bigger and badder and more dinosaurs and more teeth and more flying things. The technology itself has gotten bigger and more complicated and has way more probably places for them to, uh, to mess things up. Um, it, it's fascinating how, how far Jurassic World leans into sort of futuristic technology, both in terms of how they've sort of uh, petri dished some of these, these animals, but also sort of the VR nature of some of the platforms they have and all that sort of thing. It, I think one of the things that hasn't aged very well about Jurassic Park is the technology within it. I think Jurassic World, to give it credit, 
just leaned into the fact that none of that shit is real anyway. And so how are you really going to, to criticize something that's so sci-fi and futuristic that um, chances are it's never really going to age poorly because it doesn't exist in, in the first place. Unlike Dennis Nedry, who everyone's met one of those guys on the IT team. I'm pretty sure he's on one of my IT teams right now. <laughs> one, of the, one of the key things that also happens in the movie in Jurassic World is when the two kids the mop-headed one and the big grumpy brother. I can never remember their names. Um, but they're in that giant gerbil ball and they're rolling around. So just from your perspective as someone who does like security and stuff, isn't it a little weird that they like just roll downhill and there's no like recall? I mean, first of all, how do they ensure any of this stuff? Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, actually, because I know that nowadays with amusement parks, even movie theaters, a lot of times the waiver is hidden inside of the purchase of the ticket. I assume that's what they must be doing in Jurassic World because holy crap, that's a big waiver. Not only a big waiver, but the insurance that you would require for the things that you can't necessarily just hand wave away, like your child might die, you can't sue us. I'm sure there's still some insurance that would back that up. So like, as an example, as a chief information security officer, one of my responsibilities is to uh, sort of lord over and and uh, fine tune our cybersecurity insurance. So if you do banking with, let's say, Bank of America, um, you know they have a certain amount of cybersecurity insurance that is associated with the damages that could be done to either their customers, their equipment, their business based on a particular cybersecurity incident or based on uh, negligence or based on not having the right antivirus, you kind of get the picture. Um, I can only imagine what sort of cybersecurity insurance you'd need uh, that stipulates that uh, if you don't tune your antivirus quite right, you might get some malware uh, that then leads to a velociraptor eating your face. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'm not sure how high the premium would need to be on there, but you better be charging a lot of people uh, a lot of money at Jurassic World. Uh, in order to to meet that demand. Can you imagine writing the press release on that? That we got hacked and, sorry, a whole bunch of kids got eaten? Like, there's no way to write that where it's like, oh, malware led to munchies. You can pay for all the identity theft uh, monitors in the world, but if you have no more face, you have no more identity in the first place. And so I suppose you're, you're, you're hosed there. Um, but yeah, I mean... All of the technology and all of the safeguards and all those sorts of things that you would think they would have learned some lessons from the first time they did this. Uh, clearly, they just went bigger and badder and hoped for the best, which uh, a lot of companies do that these days, I suppose. Right. The simple fact that they are built on the bones of the old park that they don't really acknowledge until they find themselves lost inside of it. Well, yeah, it's supposed to be it's the second island that they were going to open two islands in two locations and they were built almost identically. Um, John, if you were actually to build a park like that, what would you do to make it better? Rules against uh, the type of footwear you can wear, I think, is probably a good one. Uh, <laughs> no high heels. No high heels is probably a good thing. You know, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure that there's very similar, you know, the, the thought process behind a, a Universal Studios or a Disneyland or a, or what have you probably has sort of the same um, you know, the same the same thought process as far as safety standards, the same thought process as far as the various ways people could maim themselves uh, or, or do something stupid. Um, you know, it, it would surprise me that you would let any any visitor control any aspect of their own experience, because anytime you give them control over anything, there's a chance they're going to do something wrong. Um I think that would be the first step is why does anyone get to control the hamster ball themselves? I mean, back to Jurassic Park, there's a good reason that those Jeeps are on tracks, right? If you start thinking through it. 
you know, mm-hmm. just because just because it'd be really fun to have that sort of freedom of maneuver does not necessarily mean uh, it's a good thing. What's that old adage? Like if, if in the video game industry, if you, if you give users the ability to create content, they're always going to create penises. Like <laughs> they're always going to create penises. And so the first the first mm-hmm. tenet of my Jurassic World would be don't let people create penises. I would also, though, say that like Disneyland, Disney World and all those have their rules, but it's not like Mickey is going to suddenly turn and chomp on your face. So it's almost like this would be a combo of Disney World and the security needed at like a major zoo. Um, because we've seen what happens when tigers and stuff get out of their cages and that doesn't generally go well. But when, when we're looking at like the command center area, like one question I always had was like, why don't they have like an, okay, this is a horrible thing to say, but the dinosaurs aren't real. Why don't they have a kill switch? Why don't they have something, if they're breeding these dinosaurs, why isn't there a switch in the back of the dinosaur's neck or something that you push that button and it just severs their spine so that they just go down like, what? I know it's gross. The suicide squatting like, of Jurassic World. No, I mean, I think, I think. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> the weasel can't swim. Um, you know, I, yeah. No, I mean, I think that's, that's spot on. I mean, the, 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 the lessons that they could have learned from the first movie in terms of like, if the power goes out, the dinosaurs can get loose. Like you would think that there would need to be some similar thing as far as the dinosaurs availability to survive. That said, I imagine there is some corporate suit that wouldn't let that happen because each dinosaur is probably worth millions of dollars to them. Mm. Uh, and and as That's all fair. of these movies prove, money is exactly what drives everything, and money is exactly why people get eaten. So what you're saying is Jeff Bezos is eventually going to move on from his penis-shaped rocket to creating dinosaurs. You know, Jeff Bezos might come through the, the interwebs and smite me down as I say this, but isn't he kind of like the new age John Hammond? Like, would you be surprised if he had a island somewhere that he was breeding mutants uh, in order to build a theme park? Mm. That's that's actually a very scary point. What about you, Rev? What were your big points on like what in the movie? Well, I mean, if you're talking about the breeding of these dinosaurs and like ways to deal with them, we we see that they are splicing in DNA from other creatures to get the best of all worlds. Why not like I mean, dinosaurs, they've already talked about how they're related to birds. Why not breed in that part of a parrot where you throw a sheet over its head and it goes to sleep? You throw you throw a blanket over blue and he calms down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that works with my chihuahua too, but I wouldn't want them putting chihuahua DNA into a dinosaur. Could you imagine? <laughs> Brings whole new meaning to ankle biting. But John, specifically looking at... Um, When we look at the command center the way it is now, one of the things when I worked at AWS I used to do when I was doing disaster response talks was talk about the fact that what Nedry did wouldn't be necessarily possible today. Um, You know, it would be a lot more sophisticated than one guy. It would be a lot harder because of the, you know, advent of cloud computing and and the systems we have now. Um, What are your thoughts on, on that whole thing? Because that command center went from the tiny dinky thing with Samuel L. Jackson I can never remember his character's name. And and now it's this huge command center with all these people. Well, I mean, there's there's a bunch of different layers to that, right? <clears throat> Nowadays, Dennis Nedry would never have gotten hired because of the extensive background checks most of these companies do in terms of how much you know financial ruin you're in, uh, because that might mean that you're susceptible uh, to, to bribery, which is exactly exactly sort of the inciting point of, of Jurassic Park. And so not only would you have extensive background checks on everyone in that room, uh, you would also double and triple down on things like identity and access management to ensure that the right people were accessing those particular resources at the right time for the right reasons. Now, none of that ends up being foolproof, um, but at the very least, you can have full visibility into who has the keys to the kingdom 
so to speak, the, the fallen kingdom, so to speak, um, <laughs> uh, in order to make sure that they're doing their jobs appropriately. You would have a hard time convincing me uh, that with a park that has that much visibility into every activity that their dinosaurs are getting into, that they probably also wouldn't be monitoring their employees quite closely, the same way I'm sure many theme parks do uh, with respect to the people that are, are um, interacting with guests. Um, that's why you don't go to Disney World and see Gaston, um, you know, peeing in the in the cotton candy machine uh, because someone's generally watching Gaston to make sure he doesn't do that. Well, and and so that's one of the things I've always kind of wondered with the movie is, did you notice that Jurassic Park was like a disaster movie? Like it was the diet, like the hackers, the dinosaurs, but. In Jurassic World, it's more of an action movie than a disaster movie. But the biggest thing I noticed was it was a human trying to get money and breaking the system in the first movie. And in the in in World, it's human greed ignoring limits. And, and it's a totally different actor. I think that's the underlying theme that resonates so well with all of the Jurassic movies, regardless of their relative quality and things like that. It's basically trying to tell us not to mess with Mother Nature in one way, shape or form. Either greed's going to do mm-hmm. us wrong or technology's going to do us wrong or, or what have you. I think where Jurassic World, and I love Jurassic World, it's a super entertaining movie and I, I have a blast. And one of the reasons I have a blast is I can kind of turn my brain off to really thinking too hard about um, why it needs to be this way. But why did you like Jurassic Park, the first one, Hannah, you specifically? Why why, why is that was, movie so great? Well, because well, part of it was how young I was and that something like that had never existed right. before. Like seeing those dinosaurs brought to life that way was incredible. Like it was such a huge experience. The first time you see the the Brachiosauruses, I think, I mean, I might be wrong, but the first time they come around that, that corner, the Brontosauruses, and you see them for the first time, um, you, yeah, the, it's a moment. Yeah, the characters as an avatar for the audience, it's a moment for everyone because we'd never seen something like mm-hmm. that. So a movie like mm-hmm. Jurassic World has its work cut out for it because you've already seen what a dinosaur looks like and you've already been through the single point of failure guy does some techie stuff and breaks it all down and the dinosaurs come to eat people. And so really, how do you keep leveling up You know, the ability for uh, you to create that sort of sense of wonder and sense of danger? Um, I think you have to, to a certain extent, have to treat everyone like they're sort of stupid when it comes to the technology <laughs> aspects of things and how they lay things out. Yeah, because they're, if you were building it for redundancies and security, wouldn't you have gates in certain places? Or do you ever notice the people running through the streets? Where are the shelters? Where are the things like that you have for tornadoes where people could get into a shelter and shut the doors until someone can come and get them? I mean, you would You would essentially be thinking of the worst case scenario and working your way backwards, uh, both in terms mm-hmm. of for practical purposes, like, you know, the, the the moral and ethical reasons that we want people not to die at our, our theme park. But then getting back to like just the sheer insurance purposes and how you pay for this stuff and how people underwrite you and how all those sorts of things work, you would have to think through like, what's the absolute worst case scenario? And how do we prevent that from happening? If the velociraptors get loose, what do we do with all the people? Mm. How do we lock up the rest of the dinosaurs? How do we put people into to bunkers. I mean, I think that would be the, the best yeah. idea is to have like an underground like bomb shelter essentially so that if things really did go wrong, you could you could pop down there. And that's not just for uh for the dinosaurs. Aren't there hurricanes on some of these islands? Don't, aren't they like in the middle of the ocean? Well, yeah, because remember in the 
in the next movie, there's a volcano that they have to save them all from. And that's how they all end up getting off the island. So you go through the first movie where it's a hacker and everything goes wrong and people get eaten. And there's that glorious scene with Jeff Goldblum sitting there going, must go faster, must go faster. So they've now had three movies and one of the dinosaurs was already let loose in a city. So they know what's coming. And then they do Jurassic World where they decide, oh, hey, let's build a bigger, badder dinosaur and not have learned from the frog DNA issue in the first movie that sometimes DNA does weird things. And then in the the most recent movie was where Owen and Claire go back because of the volcano that's going to make the animals that had been extinct, extinct again. The fact that they built the park basically on the bones of the first park uh, next to a fucking volcano. Uh, and then thought, you know, let's fill it with dangerous dinosaurs and ex-military, greedy ex-military folks. Can we talk about the fact that Owen Grady apparently is a Navy veteran? Is that a... I mean, I'm a former military guy myself. Is there a specialty code in the Navy for Velociraptor trainer? Do they do that? (laughs) Don't they? They train dolphins, don't they? What? They do? Yeah. (laughs) I want to see a movie about that. Fuck, Fuck this. Why is Chris Pratt not out fucking training dolphins? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, there there was um, some work done, and I don't know if they're still doing it, but there was work done on training uh, dolphins to carry cameras and go in and out of places. How much would you pay for Jurassic World 5 and it's just Owen Grady training dolphins, dolphins to go like on suicide missions in the South China Sea? <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen the, the, the newest Jurassic Park or Jurassic series? What's, I don't remember what it's called now because my brain has stopped working, but they basically look like society has reverted to like this post-apocalyptic thing with Owen on a horse like a cowboy wrangling dinos. It is the, as, as I've heard it described, it's the the conclusion of the Jurassic uh, series. All of the folks from the first three movies and all the folks from the, the latter movies are going to be in there. With the security aspect of it, like specifically from the cybersecurity standpoint, you know, if this whole park is automated, Like, how complex would those systems actually have to be? Kind of digging into your specialty a little bit more. From the aspect of, you have these parks with this many people running around, this many moving pieces. Like, it's got to be a really complex system. Not just complex, but just the amount of systems that have to integrate means that there's more gaps in the systems. It's just the nature of the beast. That's why large, complex enterprises pay their security teams quite well in order to keep pace with that sort of integration. Generally speaking, cybersecurity is a race between your developers and your engineers, the business, basically, and security's ability to keep up with the pace that the business demands those developers and engineers to work in order to make sure that as you do more integrations, as you do more stuff, as you you create more products, um, that you're securing them at the same rate that they're being developed. So think about how hard it would be for a Google or a Facebook or an Amazon or whatever to do that job. That's why there's lots of people on those teams. Think about how hard that is at, let's say, Disney World. Disney World, you have your, uh, you know, your, your either your Fast Pass or you have your wristband and you have the app on your phone so that you can get into the lines at the right time to go see, um, you know, the new Spider-Man ride or the new, you know, Star Wars ride or, or what have you. Now, behind the scenes, there's developers making sure that that stuff is as seamless uh, for your uh, for your guests as possible. And then you probably have some security people making sure that there's nothing that's getting stolen or hacked or making sure that, um, you know, it's the CIA triad, confidentiality, integrity, availability, so on and so forth. So there's sort of a constant tension between those two things. Now, again, imagine if Mickey Mouse was capable of biting someone's head off 
like the ability for your developers and engineers to get the product closer to the customer, which is what the business wants, also has inherent security risks when it comes to the technology that supports all of that. So while there might not be a microprocessor inside a Velociraptor's head, there certainly are systems and computers. And I guarantee you somewhere, just an email system that gets, you know, I send an email to some developer when the fence goes down type of a situation um, that would cause humongous problems. Uh, no, no infrastructure, no architecture is ever 100% secure. So the level of security you'd need and the level of investment in security and automation you'd need uh, in order to reduce the overall risk of your, your, your park guests getting eaten uh, would be pretty substantial. I guess I'm just talking myself into being the CISO of Jurassic World because I'd probably get paid a ton. <laughs> Yeah, but the the risk reward there, like you mess up once and mm, you just had a whole island full of people get eaten. People used to ask me about this all the time as far as like what happens if the cloud provider goes down. I was like, if the cloud provider goes down, generally speaking, everything around me, not even including what's going on in my world is going to be down. So like if the dinosaurs That's start true. eating people, am I really worried too much about my job security? No, I'm just worried about getting on that boat with Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's something is at the end of world. Remember, they left the one guy. He's in New Girl. They left him behind in the command center. Like one of the thoughts I had was, well, in this cloud world, you don't have to physically leave someone there or you shouldn't have to. That's, I mean, that's a great point. With all of this particular technology, you would think that you would reduce the amount of unnecessary people on the island in the first place, both in terms of the logistics of having people out there and having to care and feed for them, uh, but also obviously in the risk of them getting eaten or filing lawsuits, which depending on how you look at it, one might be worse for you than the other, um, <laughs> which is another thing is maybe they don't worry about it because they hope people are going to get eaten because that's less lawsuits or something like that. But uh, but yeah, you're right. Like, why isn't all this stuff hosted in AWS? Or Wait Google a second. Cloud? Are you saying... Are you saying you wouldn't file a lawsuit if I got eaten by a dinosaur? If you got eaten by a dinosaur, it'd be the fucking coolest bar story I could ever tell. So, <laughs> Wow, <laughs> thanks. I mean, I'd file a lawsuit, but I mean, I'd already be getting paid. <laughs> <laughs> Going on all the talk shows. I mean, I can't bring you back. That's fair. I might as well, you know, That's talk true. about how you got might eaten as well by make a the money. Indominus Rex. Well, as long as my dogs are still fed. That's, that's the important bit. Isn't there a dog in Jurassic World that's always running away from... Uh, from all the dinosaurs? I think you're thinking of the Meg. Ah, never mind. You're thinking of the Meg with the dog, the Yorkie in the water. And I always plug, anytime dogs come up in reference to these movies, I always plug doesthedogdie.com. <laughs> um, if you are one of those people where, like me, you really don't want to see a dog die uh, and you need to know things like skip the first 10 minutes of John Wick, go to doesthedogdie.com. There's a plug for that. But, you know, when when you're talking about risk analysis, because I know that's a big part of your job too. It just seems like there's a whole, I know you have to obviously suspend disbelief because they created dinosaurs, but they're like, why would you create flying dinosaurs? They don't have feathers in their wings that you can clip, you know? So if they get out, they're gone, dude. Peace out. Bye. I mean, I think that's the, that's the rub, right? Is that none of them are doing any sort of risk analysis in a meaningful way. Which, which is a problem yeah. at a lot of huge organizations is because it's hard to do enterprise risk analysis when you get so big and so complex that there's not any one person that has visibility into the level of risk that's, that's inherent to that level of complexity. I mean, there are entire books written about how uh, technology now 
has gotten to a point where the organizational structures that are typically in charge of that sort of technology are no longer capable of keeping pace with the complexity. It's a complicated versus complex. Most of our organizational structures, including the one that's probably at Jurassic World, is based on an old school hierarchy that was developed in the industrial age in order to create widgets and make ball bearings and sit Mm -hmm. on a factory line and do all those sorts of things that are very much a serial type uh, you know, process that can get very complicated in terms of how many things are going on at once, but you add a level of com- complexity when it comes to the technology that no one person, no one organization can keep a lid on the risk management that is associated with that complexity. And so you have to decentralize that risk management. And as soon as you decentralize that risk management, you have somebody that gets hired like the Vincent D'Onofrio character that's the head of InGen security operations. Um, you know, he wants to use the velociraptors as military animals, yada, yada, yada. Now, if someone had kept a lid on him, you know, you would reduce the overall amount of risk to your particular members because there's not some crazy Colonel Kurtz dude running around trying to use blue as a weapon. But the problem is, is that it gets mm-hmm. so complex so fast that there's not any one leader or any one decision maker that can make sure that you're reducing that overall risk. The same thing happens in every single organization that 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 exists right now is that it's really hard uh, to make sure that you're being a good steward of information, a good steward of money, ethical, moral, have all the safeguards in place and things like that and get big enough that the people at the top who have the purse strings and the people that control the money, uh, I'm not saying they're winging it, but when you're that far removed from the day-to-day risk management of something like a theme park or something like Jurassic World, you probably don't really have too much time to worry about do they have a bunker to go in when the, uh, you know, the, the pterodactyls come to eat people's faces. So as we start heading towards winding this up, Rev, was there anything else that stood out to you that you wanted to pick John's brain about? Yeah, I guess my, my question would be there are so many people out there who I think this movie – well, or sort of Jurassic Park was so big because of this fascination with dinosaurs. So, okay, we've got, I don't know, we've got three dinosaurs. None of them fly, okay? We've got this uh, this patch of land out in the middle of nowhere. What are you going to set up to make it the safest possible for people to come see these three dinosaurs? Besides webcams. Yeah. <laughs> webcams. Is, is that how we make this uh, movie, you can see like, them. three minutes long? It's just, it's webcams. <laughs> so, I, um... A couple of years back, the chief information security officer of Japan, he caught some flack because he was giving an interview. I don't know if it was to a, a news organization or if it was he was testifying in front of whatever their version of things that he would have to testify in front of was. But basically, he says he doesn't really know how to use computers. He has people for that and uh, yada, 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 which a lot of people laughed about. But I took as a personal goal, like that's a flex. <laughs> <laughs> I am in charge of cybersecurity for a nation, and yet I don't want to know how to use a computer. Now, I don't think he was like using it in those terms, but to answer your question, I would divest myself of as much of the technology as possible. Like when you look at in terms of risk and you look in terms of like the 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 blast radius of the disaster, Jurassic World in every possible way is much, much worse than Jurassic Park. And that is in small part maybe not just so small part, due to the fact that because they scaled with the technology, that same technology just introduced more and more complexity and more and more risk, which meant that it could get worse and worse and worse. Now, the experience for the people gets exponentially better, but the chance of those people getting their faces eaten also 
got exponentially better. The thing about Jurassic Park was, yeah, was it really a good idea that the fences were just electrified and if apparently there was a big storm or Dennis Nedry hit a button, all the fences would go down and they could escape? No, that was probably not great, but they had the right idea because it was a very simple system, right? There's very few places for it to go wrong. They just picked the wrong you know, Seinfeld character to run their <laughs> security apparatus. So to answer your question, like if I had like the three dinosaurs that can't fly, I would basically do Jurassic Park, but do it just slightly better. Not like a whole <laughs> lot better. Not like I don't need touch screens. I don't need any of that sort of shit. Give me a couple radios. Give me some big ass fences and let people know, hey, your experience might not have a ceiling as high as Jurassic World, but the floor is going to be an awful lot higher too. <laughs> yeah, we like to find out if you were going to make this movie three minutes long, how would you do it? And it sounds like less dinosaurs, better fences. It's that simple. Makes for a much worse movie, however. I don't think that's what... <laughs> well, you know, most of these movies wouldn't exist if the right decisions were made in the first place. Very true. So... Very true. That said, you know, like I said earlier in the, in the, in the podcast, like, it's fascinating watching... Jurassic Park again and seeing how well it's aged in terms of effects, in terms of all that sort of thing. Like the least Mm -hmm. realistic thing in the entire movie isn't even the Dennis Nedry stuff. It's Samuel L. Jackson's severed arm, which is kind of funny that that's like the the fakest looking thing that's in there. (laughs) But everything else still looks wonderful. But I think that's why Jurassic World and I think the rest of the movies, that's why it makes it such a uh, a good case study for something like this is that, I mean, while yes... They shouldn't have done a whole lot of the stuff. The reality is, is that when money is involved, people do stupid things. So I have two last questions. If Jurassic World existed today, one, would you guys go? Hell yes. Uh, I'll be honest. I, I'm not that wild about dinosaurs. Yeah, I would have to be with someone who was like super into dinosaurs because even the movies I'm, I'm, I'm subpar about. Yeah. Now, the other question I'd have for both of you is, would you invest in Jurassic World, knowing that people could get eaten and you'd be one of the people blamed for it. Yes, but I would sell my stock like opening day. <laughs> Good plan. When it's at its peak, just... That's right. I know people are going to be wild <laughs> to get there that first day, but I'm going to sell within those first 24 hours. That's fair. That's a good way of looking at it. Like first 48 hours of the park being open, sell your stock. Mm-hmm. Because it's usually within like a week of it opening that it now goes bad. Oh, because they need like, they're getting through the glitches. That's the other thing about (laughs) the movies I never understand. What do you mean getting through the glitches? I live in Seattle and they've been testing that light rail over to Bellevue for like the last four months. We would invest, sell quickly. John and I would go, Rev would, eh, maybe. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you, John, for joining us. We'll catch you next time on Disaster Peace Theater. This episode of Disasterpiece Theater, hosted by Anna Visneski, was edited and produced by Brandon Wentz, with intro by Dan Cruiser and Chris Hill. You can contact us, learn more about the hosts, and check out our merch store at disasterpiecetheater.wtf.